0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. There's a wonderful exhibition at the Metropolitan Museum that some of you may have seen. It's exploring the diversity and the wonders of Jerusalem, especially in the years 1000 to 1400. It's one of those kind of amazing exhibitions that the museum is able to mount. Um, You can walk through, and it's not overwhelming, it's just big enough. Um, But it really does get at the diversity and the wonder of that city that captivated people, um, especially in the Middle Ages, but way, way beyond, and certainly in our day. If you go to that exhibition, one of the very first objects you'll see is a map um, which is fascinating in and of itself in that it 's from the 1220s and there it is in all of its color and uh, and legibility you can you can find places on it. Um, What's also interesting about it is it was written and designed, made by an English monk, Matthew Paris, who had never visited the Holy Land. <laughs> and so the map is more or less correct. It's based on what he knew to be the case, what he had read, what he had heard, and also what he imagined. So it's a wonderful map. Like many maps with each major city, there's some kind of symbol or landmark associated with it. And so you can, you can spot the, the Dome of the Rock and the Aksa Mosque and the Tomb of Jesus. That's Jerusalem. You can, you can see the port of Acre, where so many people would have entered the Holy Land. You can see the city of Tyre, known for its glass. And then along with the word for Armenia is a funny-shaped boat or a hat. It's hard to tell. It's the ark. It's Noah's ark. Because it was believed uh, that Noah's ark went aground at Mount Ararat, which then was part of Armenia. I love that a map in the 1220s is, is... is incorporating the idea of Noah. Um, Noah has been a, an enormous symbol, an enormous character in the whole faith tradition. But it's interesting to me that in, it stands out in, even in this middle-aged map. Noah looms large in the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures, and even two years ago in the Russell Crowe movie as he played Noah, <laughs> If you haven't seen it, check it out on Netflix. It's worth watching, watching, at least for how the animals get into the ark. (laughs) Noah has been, through the eons, a persistent symbol of faith, a symbol of patience, a a symbol of someone who was able to trust in God. In today's gospel, Jesus reminds the people who are listening to him about Noah. And he calls to to mind this whole tradition around Noah as a symbol of faith. The people in Jesus' day surely would have known the stories of Noah from Genesis, how, how God became disgusted with the whole mess of humanity and decided just to do away with everybody, everybody except for Noah and his family. And so Noah is saved because he pays attention to God, because he listens to God's voice, and probably because somehow in Noah there was already the propensity to take care of others, not just himself, not just his own family. But God entrusts Noah with taking care of all the creatures of the earth, things that creep and crawl, that climb and claw, I don't think the people in Jesus' day really thought much about whether Noah had been an actual person or had built an actual boat and floated away in an ark. Um, The need to be literal-minded is something much more modern. People didn't really think that way or care about the facts that way. But I bet a whole lot of people listening to Jesus then, as now, could spot in Noah someone who who gets a sense of what it is to be faithful to God. And then once one gets that sense, preparations need to be made, things need to be put into place. But then once everything is done to a certain point, it's simply time to wait. Nothing else can be done but to wait, to wait for God to point to the next step. I would imagine a lot of us have been at that place. Maybe we've been at it again and again. Uh, Perhaps we weren't called to build an ark or save all of creation. But we've gotten a sense of what God would have us do. We've made a beginning, and then we're stuck And we're waiting, we're wondering, did God really want me to do this? Did I really hear right? Was I on the wrong frequency? Could I have imagined it? Or as a friend of mine often says, is that the Holy Spirit or is it just your stomach? (laughs) Noah must have wondered as well, are the rains really going to come? Am I as crazy as everyone says I am? Will there really be a flood? Will I be made a fool of? And then, after the rains, what will come next? God really hasn't said. What will it be like after all the drama when the waters are dried up and the animals are set free? Jesus points to Noah, I think, because Jesus wants us to look at this dynamic, this place, um, this place after we're called to do something, we begin to do something, we think we're on the right track with God, that sort of nowhere place before things really start happening. Jesus points to this time of in-between as being especially important, It's after one has felt God's presence at the beginning, but before one has really seen God's presence moving into the next chapter. It's a scary place. It's a vulnerable place. Jesus knows that we often live in that place. And it's difficult to wait. It's difficult to watch. It's difficult to listen for God. How good, then, that the Church gives us this whole season, this season called Advent, a season in which we're invited to wait and to watch, to to practice these various spiritual disciplines that allow us to wait and watch better. This morning in the adult Christian education time, we studied the the canticle known as the Song of Zechariah, Zechariah being the father of John the Baptist, And as soon as Zechariah gets word that he's going to be a father and Elizabeth is going to give birth, he's struck mute. He can't speak. And we wondered why that might be. Was it just out of terror? Was it just out of shock? Or might God have been gently protecting Zechariah so that he didn't have to blab about it? He didn't have to give away the secret. He didn't have to spoil the beauty of the moment with words. He didn't have to explain. He could simply sit in the silence. Or maybe God wanted to develop his other senses so that his seeing might be stronger, his his hearing might be better, his taste might be even sharper. This season is an invitation for us to do just that. It comes as a funny time right on the heels of Thanksgiving as we've probably, many of us, eaten and drunk so much that we've sort of killed our taste buds for the time being. So maybe a little partial fast might be in order for this season so that we can truly taste and savor what is to come. The church remembers and retells the story of the coming of a Messiah, this one who is born in a manger, Jesus of Nazareth. But the other aspect of our waiting and our watching has to do with the second or final coming of Jesus, this this coming again of Christ that's hinted at and told about and foretold about in scriptures. Our worship together, our liturgy in this season helps us recall and rehearse that first story, that first coming of Christ, and our prayers help us stretch forward to look for that second coming. But there's a third way in which Jesus invites us to spend this season, and that's in the right here and the right now, as God's kingdom continues to unfold in our midst As we remembered last Sunday on Christ the King Sunday, throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus speaks about this kingdom, this commonwealth, this holy realm of God as God's presence among us. Now, here, Jesus says you are not far from the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God is very near you. And finally, in Luke's gospel, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Jesus invited apostles, disciples, strangers, friends, and enemies to see the kingdom of God that was already around them, and that's what he invites us to see as well. In today's gospel, Jesus cautions that we should be ready. It's not for most of us to go and find a big hill and sit there and wait for God to come. Rather, in describing how to wait, notice that Jesus describes people doing their everyday activities. Uh, One is in the field, and then one will be taken with the full presence of God. Others are grinding meal and making bread, and again, one just vanishes. We could continue the list. One might be teaching while another goes away. One might be in a meeting or at a store or in traffic. Who knows whether that day of Christ' coming is years and years and years from now or this afternoon? We simply don't know. And so Christ says, "Be ready. Live ready." St. Paul says in today's reading that it is time for us to wake from sleep. Jesus invites us to live in readiness for God's next move. And so live wakefully with eyes and hearts open. And so this season of Advent before us is not at all about escaping from reality with all of its difficulty, with all of its challenges, with all of its pain. But the season is about allowing God's increasing light to shine upon us and even to shine from within us. The prayer that we began our worship with, the Collect of the Day, captures the prayer of this season, really, that we may cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of Christ's eternal light. May we walk with faith in the light of Christ. May we apprehend God's increasing light and promise of peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.